So we'd like to take some time now to talk a bit about the process of transition and uh, ongoing practice in slightly different conditions from uh, the ones that we've been in for the last few days. So one of the situations we uh, we find ourselves in these days is that actually we're we're pretty good at creating supportive environments for this practice. It's becoming something it seems that more and more people are dipping their toe into. And Gaia House is, is pretty well set up to the degree that we sometimes don't even notice the supports that are here. That's part of the way it works so well. And yet we're probably beginning to have uh, the uh, some thoughts anticipating the, the type of environments we're going to find ourselves in perhaps a little bit later today, tomorrow. And life is moving pretty fast out there. There's a lot of intensity. There's a lot of things trying to call our attention, have us be taken away from ourselves. So it's really nice to speak a little bit about this this, this kind of Transitions one word, but it may feel like a bit of a, a sharp ramp to perhaps London stations or, or such like. And the first thing really to mention is, is this still on? Yeah. Is, um, again, just that kind of orientation, really, of self-kindness, of being a real support to yourself. And, and this is different from feeling a particular way, but it's just an orientation we can play with and, and, and notice when it's available that, ah, okay, give myself some space here. We, we are probably a lot more sensitive than, than we are knowing ourselves to be right now. Um, and it might be that, uh, yeah, we feel things a little bit jarring today. And to ask the question, what's supportive right now for me? Maybe just taking things a little bit slower, maybe things like making an agreement to to maybe not check the emails on the phone till tomorrow, to uh, not put so much in today, as an act of really taking care for ourselves. And in some ways, in a, in a curious kind of way, I mean, things also in a, aren't, aren't necessarily changing so much. You know, we, we, we can begin today to explore the practice of moving around a little bit more, um, speaking more, uh, you know, these are all the stuff of life. So th this is all rich, fertile ground for practice. All can reveal the deeper nature of things as we pay attention in a particular way. So there's a certain way in which we can really begin to let go into that. We don't need to hold on to anything. The beautiful way this kind of practice of cultivation works is that we sow the seeds and then we can take our hands off a little bit. So if we're hanging on to those seeds, we actually kind of cover them over a little bit more. So there's a certain way that we can relax into the nature of life itself being uh, an invitation for us to know the nature of life itself and everything's an opportunity. And part of that is letting go a little bit of the conditions here and turning towards the next situation we find ourselves in. What, we've d what we do here only really makes sense if it's a value to other situations we find ourselves in also in our lives. So one teacher is becoming popular in uh, 
in recent years. It's called uh, Sayadaw Utejaniya. He's actually written a book called Dharma Everywhere. And uh, a really nice title that somewhere, if we carry this idea that the, the true nature of things is only available in certain settings, we, we really cut off so many opportunities. So the question is just to see what's possible as we enter into different environments today and keep the practice of, of wakefulness in the moment going. Why not? Why not be awake to our lives? We don't know what's going to happen but we can, we can be awake to it. And this is part of the, the dance of the whole thing. So there's this invitation to, to live in the present. And we can do many, many things from this place. And uh, it's our exploration to see if this supports the activities of our life, to be present, to be able to respond come off the treadmill a little bit of constant reactivity that we all know so well. So we, we do things, we move, we, but it's very different when it's coming from a place of response rather than reactivity. And this, this is the exploration to turn towards. Sayadaw Utejanir also speaks about this idea of going home to a house rather than your house. It's this idea of relating to the things that we have around us in our life without necessarily holding on to them so much and exploring the freedom that's possible. So, so there's, there's so many doorways here to, to rich exploration and we can begin to ease ourselves into that today. But we've been supported here and as we go into our other situations and environments, we, we need to be a little bit proactive in supporting ourselves in this practice. If we're finding meaning and purpose in this, to really kind of nourish that aspiration to continue it now. And we can begin as we move out to, to consider supports that we can, we can have there. Very different from trying to somehow control our lives but helpful supports that actually in a way support the inner qualities, the wholesome inner qualities born through practice to come forwards and gain their own momentum. So it's different from kind of somehow relying on something, but what is supportive here? What is supportive for bringing forth as we've been speaking so much about over the days? And one thing that I, I feel yet to encounter anyone that hasn't found this supportive is having a daily, you could say, formal meditation practice. So time where you come to stillness. There's something so significant about putting yourself in a position and having a clear intention to turn toward whatever is there. That's so powerful, according to the teachings. If it's just a case of kind of we go through our day and we see what's possible, of course those undercurrents of, of forces like the hindrances might be driving things or or kind of a, a sort of more reactive flow, unhooking from that is so significant. And for myself personally, I found it really helpful to not have like, oh, this is a one hour thing I do in the morning, another thing on the to-do list, but just a commitment to, to come to the cushion each day. And then actually at that point there, decide, ah, yeah, half an hour. And it's quite interesting because the difficult thing is not the half an hour, the difficult thing is sometimes just simply the unhooking from whatever it is we're doing. 
and we can notice that situation where we actually we unhook from all the things on the to-do list we come to sit and it's like ah this is something i really want to give time to i want to give my attention to half an hour maybe even an hour 45 minutes from there so we can be a little light and playful but there can still be a kind of commitment there and to value that unhooking and sitting down with that intention it's the place where all things stem from so we have the formal practice and of course the point of the formal practice is a little bit like doing the scales you know even the best violinists in the world will will, will do the scales so 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 we sit and we do do that and then as we move out into the world that's kind of where we explore playing music so this really is about all activities in our life to show up be aware what feels like the appropriate response right now to notice what we're doing what's happening and just to see what's possible we can make up some expectation around how that needs to go but that's that's just an expectation and so any moment where we're doing something we find ourselves awake and aware again explore pausing a little bit beginning again seeing what it's like can i be here in this moment and one an, another paradox of this practice is if there's any evaluation or judgment or something set in time they're just kind of ideas emerging in the mind there is only this moment right now so we become a little bit more familiar with just just beginning again <coughs> keeping an eye on time <laughs> so in this way the kind of formal and informal practice works together and there's only learning there's no there, there, there's no there doesn't need to be a wrong in this you know there's this idea uh, sometimes people come and say oh i i did it but i i you know something went wrong it's like well, what, what went wrong oh i i i didn't do one hour each morning and one hour each evening so i stopped it's like, ah, curious, where's that actually coming from? It's an idea. So actually we can be really spacious around that and see this as we mentioned last night, this exploration of skillful effort as, as something joyful that we can be curious and interested about. We understand a lot about life and the forces that co-opt us in that process. <clears throat> So other, other supports um, to, if you'd like, do more retreats. Uh, it's this idea in the teachings of a kind of wholesome attachment, a wholesome attachment to the practice of liberation. So, you know, it needs, any commitment needs a certain sacrifice and it's, it's okay to, to do more of the thing that feels like it's really meaningful and purposeful. <coughs> So books and online uh, resources. Again, another thing that, that the Buddha knew a lot about was he didn't just say to people, I'll oh, just go and be mindful. He actually knew the things that supported mindfulness to arise, which is really helpful. We can take all of this so impersonally if we want to. But actually dipping, dipping into a book sometimes, it just kind of can ignite something. Um, there's so many online resources out there through uh, websites such as Dharma Seed, which some of you might be aware of, thousands and thousands of teachings. And you might notice kind of a, 
situation oh, I'm not sure if I, I, I want to but there, there might be something there where you think oh yeah let's listen to something and, and it can feel a little bit like a doorway opens suddenly there's a connection with with a spark of something and so these resources it's spoken about in the teachings really important as uh, in terms of the cultivation of, of mindfulness present moment awareness so to connect with teachings in all the myriad different ways that are possible Uh, also things like guided meditations, many available online these days. One of the, the great benefits of, of uh, the online community. And in this spirit, another thing that was really is really um, uh, significant uh, and, and really central to this practice of cultivation is the way in which hanging out with, with others who are also interested in, in if not the practice, but kind of talking about life or exploring life in the way that we have been this this weekend. So in, in the, the framework of the, the, the Dharma teachings, this idea of Sangha, of people coming together, is a powerful conditioner for ourselves, for keeping in touch with our deeper aspirations, our core aspirations, and actually supports these qualities to arise quite organically. So again, a little bit proactive here. It might be... Um, you know, needing to, to seek people out or uh, see if there's a, a, a sitting meditation group uh, near you. There's more things sprouting up online these days. Um, Gaia House has actually started up an online sitting group that I've been involved in for the last few months. And it happens on the first Monday of each, each month at the moment. Just an hour long, 8 p.m. in the evening. Uh, the point of it it's a, a little bit, but it's it, some way it, it just can be that point of, of connection, even though it's a short time. It's like, ah, yes, okay, here we are, sitting meditation practice together, connect with the teachings a little bit. And some people are feeding back that it's really kind of, yeah, connecting them in a way that uh, they, they, they didn't expect, sort of finding themselves booking on other retreats and such like. So that things like this are starting up now as well. <coughs> And so also this, any path of real meaning and purpose and commitment also requires sacrifice. And this idea of simplifying is, is there right at the heart of the teachings also. And we've been exploring it this day, these days. And this is something we can really have as an alive question and exploration in our daily lives also. And it can be that there's many things that we really like in our lives. Our lives can be so full. But this exploration of, of putting down things that we like for things that perhaps we love or that really serve or really fulfill that aspiration, this is also part of the practice and something to be curious about. So this idea of simplifying our life so that these supports can be there come forward, bring forth in this life what we deeply aspire for. Um, and of course, this, this can look many, many different ways for, for different people. But um, it's important to say there's, there's so many things in, in our lives for many of us so full, so many calls on our, our attention that uh, to, be, to really carry this question, where, how is it I want to align? Where, where's my, my feeling of alignment? What might that look like? And uh, whatever your sort of deepest aspiration is to really serve that in, in this life. 
okay i was trying trying very hard to hit the the time allocation there so but uh yeah that's just basically speaking to some of really the the kind of supports that are very much spoken about in the teachings and really understand the nature of how these these qualities of of awareness and everything that stem from there are conditioned by other things and we can bring these other things into our lives it's not just a case of i need to be mindful there's there's ways in which it all works together so um feeling into these a little bit today maybe setting some intentions very much still being here but most important thing really taking care of yourself and uh being a good friend to yourself during this transitional period so okay over to Yanai thank you Gavin So this uh, time we've had here on retreat is, of course, something that's embedded in the in the stream of our lives. That uh, this time where we move out of the form of the retreat and towards the form of whatever comes next, that may look different for each of us. That there's a a way in which what we get to take with us is not the form. It might be rather lovely if you know we could invite everybody to come and stay at our place and everyone get out, you know, get up and sit together in the morning at seven o'clock for half an hour before breakfast. Probably really good for my practice. It might be a bit complicated for everyone else's life if they had to do that at my place. But we could see that might be a lovely thing to bring. And yet, it's like so. So, what have I found to be useful here that I wish to continue in my life? And um, some of the things as Gavin's just been speaking about in terms of actual formal practice, how helpful that is. There's a, a way in which also there's, we sort of are asked to take responsibility for our life and our situation and um, in, a, in a sort of a way with integrity to, to take on the circumstance of life, which is challenging in many ways. There's a, a place where... I, the, I, I I never saw this, but I was told by someone of a of an overpass in London, where every day the traffic would back up for ages, and people would be crawling along or not moving at all, and a lot of people getting really frustrated and annoyed with you know what's happening here, and what the graffiti on the overpass said was, "You are not in a traffic jam, you are the traffic jam." And it's a really useful thing, isn't it? It's like, why are all these people here in my way? And it's like, oh, why am I here in their way? Or why are we? Oh, somehow we've chosen this. Um, at least the first time we might not say that. But beyond that. Uh, and it's like we can move from this relationship of frustration with the difficulties and struggles of life to a more sense of, oh, oh, it's difficult. We're all here trying to get there through a narrow little road in a little middle box under pressure and sometimes feeling stressed and oh maybe this is a moment where I could breathe or say you know oh here's a little space that life has offered to me because it's not letting me do the thing I want to do when I'm on the phone and that sense of it's ringing it's ringing and then it's a machine talking to me pretending to be a human being as if it's going to help me but I know that usually the machines and all the menus don't 
give me anything that I'm looking for here. And yet, I could get frustrated, sometimes I do, but it's more like, oh, bro, okay, here's a moment that life has just offered me to wait. And rather than waiting in patience, it's like, oh, can I feel my body? Can I breathe? It's like that sense of just shifting the relationship rather than it being done to me. Oh, what can I give to this moment here in my life? What can I give to myself? And so those moments of just turning it around to see what can I offer can be so helpful. And in terms of what we offered, and we've talked a lot about offering on this retreat, that sense of generosity also, of what, what, what can I give with my life? How can my life be an expression of something offered as I understand it to be an expression of something received also? And that, and that, you know, we've talked about the precepts and that sense of non-harming as an offering, as a way to engage in the world. And it's not just for a retreat, although on retreat we ask everyone to follow these guidelines. But of course the wish and the hope and the true transformative power in them is that we may take these on for our life and for the world. And what I find with that and what's really important is the aspiration to refrain from causing harm, the balancing acknowledgement that it's impossible to do so perfectly and allowing oneself to feel what that's like. So like I know when I get in my car and I drive and it's sometimes where I could have taken my bicycle if I left myself enough time and it, you know, all of that and I haven't and I know that A, I'm likely to have killed some small creature on the windscreen and just take it in and just know, oh, that's a choice I made. Of course, when cycling, I sometimes inhale small creatures. I'm not sure that's much fun. For, well, it's not much fun for me, and for them, it's certainly not going to be much fun. But again, it's like even on a cycle, I can't avoid causing harm sometimes. And then, like I was with driving the car and realizing, oh, that has an effect too in the ecology, in the environment, in the world. Huh. Wow. But I've chosen it. And to be compassionate, because sometimes I'm stressed and busy and I don't have time to take my bicycle. And sometimes I'm just lazy. And it's like, huh. But let myself feel that because that actually is what helps me to actually make a different choice when I can. Not to judge or blame or attack myself, or, but oh, yes, yeah, sometimes you, make a, you need to take an easy option because my life is hard enough. There's the story in my mind, you know? And yet, at the same time, it's the feeling of the impact of my actions and my choices that informs then, oh, actually, I am willing to do that. It's when I talked in earlier about regret for not having made an offering. It's like if I walk past someone who I feel like maybe I could give them, you know, some homeless person, maybe I could give them some food. And I don't, and I feel a bit not okay about it because I let myself feel, oh, that's a shame. It's a bit awkward and embarrassing to try and do that sometimes. So I don't. Then later on I feel a bit sad that I didn't. And the next time it gives me the courage to just do that slightly awkward thing, you know, would you like some food? You know? They might say no, well, okay. But if they would, then I can give them some food. And then I feel happy. And hopefully they feel less hungry. So, so that, that sense of being in touch with the resonance of how we are in the world is part of what we access through, through being present, through mindfulness, through wakefulness, through awareness. And it's, it's really helpful, it's really powerful if we do that. And that, that quality of both, the, in a way, the two sides of it are that sense of, of the precepts which are expressed initially in the sense of restraining from those things which we might habitually or reactively do that might cause harm. Not 
you know, not killing or harming other beings, not taking things that aren't freely offered to us, not causing harm through careless or selfish expressions of sexuality, not causing harm through careless or self selfish expressions of speech, and not causing harm through unskillful use of intoxicants or drugs. And seeing that those as a, as a foundation for our life, it's so powerful. That sense of, okay, holding back from things which cause harm. So far as I'm able, again, not doing it perfectly. And then also that sense of, okay, and say, can I initiate things which contribute to well-being? That contribute to the welfare of the world. And that's in the, in the realm of the sense of offering, of generosity, of dana, in so many ways. And um, it's, I think, so important to recognize that, you know, in fact, everything we do is an offering. Whether we see it or not, everything we offer, every act, every choice, every movement, every word, everything we choose not to say, we'll say. Because sometimes those are as important, what we didn't say to someone who we could have told them what they did, but we just realized, I don't need to. And they don't need to hear it right now. It can sometimes be an act of restraint or forbearance, is the, maybe the word we would use there, as an act of generosity. Not because I'm afraid to talk about something tricky, but because, oh, Maybe now's not the right time. I'll wait. There'll be a better time. That kind of sense, which is also, just as our practice is, it's a learning process. We don't do it perfectly. But in that, there's the sense of understanding that our well-being and the well-being of the people around us, the community around us, the world around us, are inextricably linked and woven in. How we experience ourselves, our minds and our hearts here on retreat is influenced profoundly by how we experience the world around us. And if we want to have some sense of one particular sort of way in which we're affected, for instance, and there's many, many, but this was quite striking, a piece of research that came out in America a few years ago now, where they'd been looking at um, various conditions or circumstances leading to or what was giving rise to what was seen as an epidemic of unhealthy eating amongst young people and all sorts of health consequences arising from that. And what they did is they did some research where they took a quite a large sample of, I think it was like six to ten year olds, and they just measured how much time they spent in front of screens, in front of televisions, in front of at movies, and how much exposure they had to media, basically, in all of its forms. And then they worked out from that however many hours per day on average that was, how many messages they would have received through that media about encouraging an unhealthy eating behavior in one way or another. And what they worked out that was that over the course of a year, these young beings would receive approximately 10,000 messages per year on average of really unhealthy eating encouragements or suggestions or advertisements for and then you look at that and you go, wow, because actually if at every single meal their parents give them a message about healthy eating, that's about a 1,000 messages a year. And 10,000 they're getting of unhealthy. And of course, who are they going to listen to? You see the problem in one sense. Wow, there's an environment created where it's not this kid's fault or even this family's fault that unhealthy eating is what's happening. It's a much larger context. There's a much larger environment going on. And therefore we need support. We need to support each other. We need to take care with what we take in and what we put out 
Because what we take in and what we put out, this is the world. And in the teachings we understand that what we know to be ourself and what we know or understand to be the world are not separate in an ultimate way because we are influencing and influenced constantly. We impact the world, the world impacts me. And consequently, we do not exist separately. We cannot. Just as we cannot live for a moment or more than a few minutes without the oxygen we're sharing. And of course, it's lovely that we're sharing this oxygen with the trees and the grass that produce it. We're also sharing it with our neighbours, some of which has just been breathed out by them, unused from their lungs. Really? And we've just breathed it in. And it's like, oh, really? <laughs> I've just breathed out what was in my neighbour's lungs a few moments ago. I've just breathed that in. I've taken it right. Some of that's in my cells right now. It was in their lungs a little while ago. It's true. Biologically, it's unarguable, that degree of connection. And in the larger sense of the world, this is true also. And... It's important as practitioners that we both take care of what we see within and we also engage with and take care of what we see around us because this is something that cannot be separated. And I was struck this morning receiving a, a message from my half-sister who lives in New Zealand um, as a just acknowledging Holocaust Mem Memorial Day, which is today. And um, it was particularly touching for me because it was a a complete non-subject in my family growing up, but my father and his parents were in a concentration camp in, in the Ukraine and the war. And, um, and yet it was never a part of the conversation of our family. And only in recent years have us younger members, certainly of the, the next generation, and certainly myself and my half-sister, more than others in our family, started to have the conversation about this and the impact of this and the reality of this. And as a, a world community, and in the UK, this is the day where there's just a remembrance of, gosh, look what happens when greed and hatred are given full license. And that phrase that um, Gavin used last night in the talk, and beautifully reflecting on that, that, the teaching where the Buddha said, you know, the world is on fire with greed, with hatred, with confusion and delusion. And we see how that has played out historically, not just in the time of the, the Holocaust of, um, of Europe and in, in, in the time of the, uh, the Nazi occupation, but in other genocidal um, tragedies that have taken place around the world before and since that time, we see that there is a vulnerability in the, in the shared human psyche and culture towards being carried away by the forces of, of hatred and violence. And we see that this is not what actually anyone really wishes for, but yet sometimes we become overwhelmed by such things and needing to look and see what do we need to do, how do we need to take care of our relationship with life and with others in the context where we are vulnerable to this. Because, of course, the places where that happened are places where, until it happened, no one would have ever imagined it could happen here. Until it did. And then, oh my gosh, it can. And so, too, to not take for granted 
in any situation, any community, any society of our world, so long as it's inhabited by human beings who are not fully enlightened and therefore have not completely uprooted those fundamental tendencies towards craving and aversion, towards greed and hatred, which is what we have to work with as human beings, which practice supports us to free ourselves from, so long as these are present in ourselves and our world, the vulnerability of them in a way becoming so powerful is there. And we can see that in another way it's also it's part of the reality of where we are. It's not just where we might be. And that the forces in our world at this time that seem to be more driven by greed than by hatred of the, 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 the consumption of the resource of our earth and the impact that's having at this time on the ecology and the climate that is profound that is destructive, that is destabilizing, and that is actually really quite hard to even just acknowledge. And so in naming this, I, I'm just aware that we're coming on a retreat. And of course, we might wish to come because we want some calm, some peace. And me too, I understand that. But it's also important we acknowledge where we are, that we come to this place. And that we, we also take moments to acknowledge that as a human species, we're, we're in a pickle, we could say. In fact, someone has posted in my little town, Ashburton, just you know, eight miles away when you drive in from the, the west, someone on the end of their house has hung a quote from David Attenborough. David. Richard? David. <laughs> um, Attenborough. <laughs> and it says something like, I'm trying to remember, we're in a terrible, terrible situation. Just, of course, he said more about what's going on and I don't imagine this is news to anyone here unless you've been living in a cave without any connection to international media for the last while but there's something about us actually also just letting it be said here so that we're not pretending it's not something going on or we're not saying we can't talk about it because it's difficult it is difficult and yet just as in practice we've been invited and called to turn towards what is difficult as a way of working with it, as seeing what's possible, what's needed, so too here in this context as human beings and as people who might seek to practice or do seek to practice the Dharma, there's this call to turn towards, to see what's, what's going on here, that the, the situation where we've known for 40 or more years that the way our society, our economy is working and various elements of it are impacting harmfully and destructively on the ecology, on the creatures, on the trees, on the ecosystems, on the habitats of our world, and impacting on the stability of our climate, the capacity for the, envir the larger environment to sustain life in the way that we've known it is profoundly affected in a way that's at the moment increasing, accelerating. And we've known this. And for all the many endeavors and activities have collectively or individually been undertaken to address this, actually the net outcome has been that it continues to increase and accelerate. The destruction of creatures and habitats, the increase of um, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and the rising temperature and 
And we see this and we hear about you know, the fires in Australia. And we hear about the Pacific Islands that already are partly uninhabitable because the water is, doesn't need to rise very far when you're in a very flat atoll and that's your home before it actually starts to go underwater. And, and we maybe hear about the famine in uh, different parts of the world, in Syria, precipitated primarily by drought due to climatic changes leading to war, leading to mass sort of population movement because there's no food. And these things we can see and trace to the economic paradigms and activities that our culture is continuing to engage in. And it's almost like, how can that be? The only way it makes sense to me is if it's like somehow we're addicted. Like, we know, the doctors have been telling us for decades, if you keep doing this, it's going to kill you, collectively. And we're still doing it. And that's a hard thing to take in. So I'm just aware that in naming that, it's, oh. But it's important that we do, that we find ways to acknowledge what's going on, that we find places to talk with people and share how that feels for us. Because we might feel terrified, we might feel grief-struck, and we might feel really out, outraged, confused. Like, how can we do this? We're caring, we're intelligent, aren't we? Does it mean we're not intelligent? Does it mean we don't care? In some ways, it's just how we're wired up. You know, there's that image of a frog... Well, image, I think it's you know probably been checked out. If you put a frog in hot water, it jumps out straight away. No problem. Put a frog in cold water and slowly warm it up. It stays there until it dies. Because it doesn't realise what's happening. And like our biological systems aren't wired up to deal with slowly increasing threat. They're d designed to deal with saber-toothed tiger, run. And we do that quite well. And so this is part of where this training and practice of actually starting to find ways to live that aren't driven and dominated by our reactive patterns, which have been effective at a certain level for survival, but at a certain point are actually showing themselves to no longer be effective for survival. Not just that they don't actually make us feel particularly happy to be run by greed, by craving, by aversion, by getting food and running away from becoming food, basic responses. Um, actually it's not just that that doesn't make us happy and we want to transform our hearts and our lives by transforming these roots of, of craving aversion of greed and hatred and the kind of blindness that gets that they're wrapped up in, in in the sense of not understanding how we are so profoundly and deeply interconnected how we relate to rely upon, depend upon and are depended upon by all things when we start to see that, we find, I think, a greater commitment to transforming the roots of craving and aversion and unawareness and the way they tend to manifest in the world as, as greed, as hatred, as delusion and beliefs in what serves that doesn't actually serve. That's the fundamental delusions when we think something is going to help and it doesn't it's actually harmful. Or we think something will be harmful, but no, it would actually help. In our world today, the view is commonly expressed that sharing is a bad idea because it encourages people to be lazy. That's what it comes down to. Or it fails to reward effort. And 
from a Dharma point of view, that's completely not true. And we've talked a lot about sharing in different ways here. Um, so that process of, of training, of development, is, is for ourselves and for our world. And just as what we find is important here is to find places to hold and to meet ourselves with how it is for us, but also to meet with others, to see other people I can talk with about what I see going on in the world that concerns me. It's important to find people we can have those conversations with, to seek them out if we need to. They may or may not be people who are into sitting silently cross-legged on a cushion if they are wonderful but if they're not they might be people you meet down at the sort of the the the, the tea and coffee morning in the local village hall or who, who, who you bump into at the the local health food shop or the, the sort of out, out in the, uh, the out walking somewhere by in the woods or by by a stream and you just find that there's room for that conversation or there might be people who are actively engaged and turning towards what can be done? How can I respond? Because this is the other piece. We start off with this kind of seeing, okay, what's, what, what's needed here to allow myself to meet my own experience? This is our practice as the foundation. But then what can I bring in? What can I develop that will serve and support what's needed here? There's the kind of two elements of what we've been doing and talking about this weekend. And in the world and in our lives, it's the same. It's like, first of all, okay, let me meet and hold the information, the sorrow, the confusion, the, any, the numbness or the disbelief, the denial. I can't imagine we're doing this. Surely it's going to be okay. Wherever we are in it, it's understandable. We could be in any of those places. From despair to, I don't even want to think about it. From a sense of hopefulness to a sense of confusion. It's all part of the terrain of what might be our experience. So there's that first place of meeting that, finding support for that, talking with others, and then saying, okay, in what ways can I respond? In what ways can I engage? Well, one of the ways we deal with this fact of our deep concern for life and the fact that we're not in control of what happens, and this is the condition in which we can sometimes find ourselves overwhelmed by anxiety. We care for things, but we're not in control of them. And either I want to stop caring about them, or I try and control them. Neither of which really works. So to actually learn to live with that unease of life, what actually helps is first of all making space for it, not making it wrong or as if it shouldn't be there, because of course it's telling us to pay attention, to give attention to a situation that needs our attention. Just as when we're on a road, we hear the sound of a vehicle, and we go, <gasps> It's like, oh yeah, I'm on a road. That's the sound of a vehicle. I better make sure it's not about to run me over. Get off the road. It's a useful thing. Pay attention. If I hear the sound of a vehicle I think, and I start thinking, oh no, there's a vehicle coming. What's going to happen? That's not a helpful response. Or, oh, it's probably just a recording. You know, someone playing the sound of a car coming towards me on their Walkman, you know. Do I still have Walkmans? iPods, sorry, I've got to update. iPads, something. Um, you know. And that's not going to be helpful either, is it? It's like, no, look around and see, is there a car coming? If there is, get off the road. If it's somewhere else, oh, it's fine. I'm okay. And so that, that process of, so how can I respond here? Because responsivity is part of what we are. We respond to things. We're sensitive, we feel, and we respond. 
unconsciously through reactivity, but consciously when we're present, we can bring wisdom and compassion to bear. And sometimes that might mean talking with people, going to speak to others who share that concern or others who don't seem to recognize the concern and need to be informed about it. We might want to get involved in different forms of uh, political or social activism and that's something for myself that for the last year and a half has been a very primary element of my own life and engagement and I've been involved with the Extinction Rebellion movement over the last sort of 14 months now I guess that uh, some of you will have heard of, been be aware of and uh, a sense of for me of, of my practice just saying actually to stand up and to be willing to even take risks with my sort of my liberty or my comfort and in, in protest and, and sometimes what we call civil disobedience um, as a way of calling for attention because what we need is for the public to become aware to be pulled away from the distractions of entertainment and survival that tend to overwhelm most of us including me some other times and to turn towards the situation to see what is needed what can be done and to call for more urgent more comprehensive action from the collective capacity of government because this particular situation is beyond individual changes and individual changes are really important and beautiful and needed and we need a collective response because it's a collective situation the circumstance of our world is the responsibility of our collective and so so there's a pathway that for me has opened up in this particular way and for others it might look completely different I have a friend who's she, she tells me about her sister who for various reasons can't really leave the house and she can make posters and that's her offering and that's how she finds a way to express her concern, her interest, her wish for engagement or response. And there's a million different ways. For each of us we can find our own way. And what I would say here is that what that way looks like is not, so, not the most important thing. But finding our own ways that feel aligned to our hearts, that feel meaningful in our lives to Again, as an offering, as a sense of this is how I would like to respond to a situation which clearly has a need to be responded to. As, a, as, a, as an expression of the fact that I appreciate, that I care for, that I'm grateful for this life that I have, that I would wish future generations to receive it equally as this remarkable opportunity and fortunate circumstance that it can be. And that therefore I, I wish my life also to contribute to to what we could call in the context of climate climate justice ecological ecology ecolo ecological justice and society in terms of social justice in terms of taking care of those groups those individuals those situations those circumstances where there is harm or where there is oppression where there is exploitation where there is a lack of really caring for and nourishing the, the greatest well-being that could be possible because this really is what fulfills us it seems to me what gives the greatest happiness is really being able to share with ourselves and with each other the roots and causes of happiness the roots and causes of peace 
And that's what we've been talking about here and practicing here together. And then it's just a case of seeing how does this flow through me into the world. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.